Tonight, I'm going to get to talk about the idol of comfort. And so these are just a few of the struggles that we have as believers. I mean, uh, John Calvin said our hearts are like factories of idols. We just churn them out. And an idol is just something that you put your trust in, your hope in, your confidence in other than God. It can be a thing. It can be uh, a person. Uh, it's whatever it is that if it's taken away from you, your life is over. That's an idol, and that has replaced God in your life. And so uh, this is a very important topic, especially at your, uh, your age, your life stage. And so it's a privilege to talk to you guys tonight about the idol of comfort, something that I struggle with. So what I want to do is I want to pray, and then we're going to jump in and just walk through some things, in with some application, and, uh, and then we'll be done. So let's pray together. Glad to be with you guys tonight. Father God, I thank you for uh, all that you're doing through... Uh, Ben and his staff, Josh and, and Casey and his team and uh, all the volunteers that put this event on on Wednesday nights and also do all the other ministries throughout the week and throughout the months in uh, Life Stage 2 and our young adult ministry. I thank you for how you've grown this ministry. I thank you for all the stories I've heard in these past six or seven months of life change and people finding community, people finding uh, new friends and a, a new place to belong. Um, Lord, I just I thank you for what you're doing in this ministry. I thank you for uh, your grace and mercy in our lives. And I thank you, Lord, that uh, we can put our hope and trust in you. Uh, that we don't need to look to anything else to bring us peace, to bring us joy, to bring us comfort. That we can find all that we're looking for in you. And Lord, tonight I pray that you would uh, speak through me. I pray that you would bless our time together. I pray that you would anoint me with your spirit. And uh, Lord, I pray that you would be glorified and honored in our time together. We love you and praise you, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so I've got a little prop tonight. I don't use props often, but uh, this is just a little piece of art or picture. I don't know what you call it, uh, but this little sailboat. And I've had this object, this piece of art, for about 17 years. Um, in 1999, I was a, a baseball player at Angelina Junior College. And uh, those of you who know my story, in 1999 was also when I really began to struggle with anxiety and depression. And um, it was a very difficult time in my life. I had a hard time just getting out of my bedroom to go to class, uh, to go to baseball practice, much less even driving home to Fort Worth, which was about a four-hour drive from Lufkin, Texas. And during that fall semester, the assistant coach at Angelina, uh, Tyler Wilt was his name, um, he came to me and he said, man, I've got a great opportunity for you. I think it's perfect. Um, it's this ministry called Athletes in Action, and what they do is they play sports all around the world, and you share the gospel, and the goal is to help people come to Christ, and I think you would love it and be perfect for it. And in that moment, um, you know, he said that, that there was a baseball team that was going to go to Nicaragua and Mexico. It was an eight-week trip that summer. And in that moment, I was so excited about the thought. And then in that moment, I was terrified at the thought of saying yes to that and stepping out of my comfort zone and going on this trip with Athletes in Action. So I had this decision I had to make. And uh, for me, in that moment in my life, it was a very difficult decision. But I got to the point where I was like, you know what? Screw it. I'm going to say yes. I'm scared to death. I don't want to do it. Everything inside of me is saying, stay where you are. But I told Coach Wilt, I'm in. And he gave me the application. I signed up. I raised the money, and I made the team. And so I went on a journey 
of eight weeks that summer after my sophomore year at Angelina Junior College. And it was terrifying. And every day was a test of the will. And every day for eight weeks, I saw God come through again and again and again. I saw, I met new people. I saw different parts of the world. I saw people come to Christ. Hundreds of people come to faith in Christ. And I was one of the last guys on the team to share my testimony. We all shared our testimony after these games that we played. We'd play these all-star teams with like 60-year-old men and and 12-year-old boys. And it was really cool and, and crazy. And I was one of the last ones to share my testimony. So we were in Nicaragua, and uh, we're on this field, and it was super hot, middle of July. And there was an active volcano kind of off in the distance that just was you know, spraying out smoke. It wasn't erupting. Um, but just smoke was drifting over the field. It was super hot. And there were no fences on this field. And so the crowd was out on the field. I played shortstop, and there were fans behind me. You know, I'm, I'm hearing people talking in Spanish behind me in the middle of the game, and I'm having to fight through the crowd to, to, you know, do my job playing baseball. So it was crazy. It was uncomfortable. The water that we had was limited and, and extremely hot. I mean, it was, a, it was stressful. And after the game was over, everybody crowded around, and I had to share my testimony. And I really wasn't big on uh, getting up and, and sharing my testimony at that time and uh, kind of an introvert. And so once again, I stepped out in faith and shared my story. And my story wasn't complete yet. I mean, I was in the middle of one of the biggest trials of my life, but I just was honest with the people. And, you know, there's probably four or 500 people crowded around. And the elder of that little town, uh, one of the main guys, an older gentleman, presented me with this picture. I didn't know why. I mean, it's a boat. We were inland. I didn't see ocean for miles. Um, But, you know, it meant a lot to me. That's the first time I really had shared my testimony in that kind of environment, but I never really knew what the boat meant, really until today. As I was prepping for this talk and thinking about the idol of comfort, I realized that what what this boat represented for me was the reality that I had a a choice to make. I I could risk stepping off the shore of comfort, stepping out of my comfort zone and going off on a journey of which I didn't know where I was going, didn't have a clue, or I could just stay back on the shore. And I think what this boat represents for me is the fact that I chose to step out in faith even though I was scared to death. And because of that, I got to experience some amazing things that I would have never experienced if I stayed in my little comfort zone where things were safe and things were in order. And so tonight, here's what I wanna do. I wanna wanna give you a, a, a big idea that I'm gonna break down and that's gonna be the sermon. And and here's the big idea. You can't live for the glory of God and bow at the altar of comfort. You can't live your life for the glory of God and at the same time bow at the altar of comfort. Those two things are mutually exclusive. You can't do it. You can't have a comfortable, safe Uh, secure, convenient life, and live a life for the glory of God. And so all I want to do is is part one, what does it look like to bow at the altar of comfort? We're going to look at that. And then part two, what does it look like to live for the glory of God? And then we're going to do some application, and then we're going to be done. So number one, what does it look like to bow at the altar of comfort? Um. I teach for the post-college residency. We're going through the Old Testament. And just a few weeks ago, 
we talked about Israel in the wilderness. We call it the wilderness wanderings of Israel. And if you're not familiar with the, the context, um, long story short, there was a man named Joseph, and Joseph had a dream when he was a kid, and the dream was that he was going to be second in command of uh, you know, this powerful nation, and his brothers were going to come bow to him, and, and his dad was going to come bow to him, and they were all like, that's crazy. He was one of the younger brothers. And so they, they, they sold him into slavery, and fast forward decades, this Joseph who was sold into slavery, then put in prison, it's a crazy story. You can read it at the end of Genesis. But eventually Joseph becomes second in command in Egypt because he interpreted a dream for Pharaoh. And in return, Pharaoh, when the dream came to fruition and the dream was about a big drought and Joseph was put in charge of taking care of the food and providing for the nation, in return, Pharaoh said he could bring his family to Egypt. And so this people of God, the Israelites, came to Egypt and lived there for a long time. But eventually, and if you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and start flipping to uh, Exodus chapter 1. But eventually, that Pharaoh and Joseph and those brothers died off. And here's what it says in Exodus. It's on the screen if you don't have your Bibles. In Exodus 1, verse 8, here's what it says. Now, there arose a new king over Egypt who did not know Joseph. And he said to his people, Behold, the people of Israel are too many and too mighty for us. Come, let us deal shrewdly with them, lest they multiply. And if war breaks out, they join our, uh, our enemies and fight against us and escape from the land. Verse 11, Therefore they set taskmasters over them to afflict them with heavy burdens. They built for Pharaoh's store cities, uh, Pithom and Ramses, but the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied and the more they spread out over the land. And the Egyptians were in dread of the people of Israel. And listen to this. I mean, this is a terrible predicament for God's people. So they ruthlessly made the people of Israel work as slaves and made their lives bitter with hard service and mortar and brick and in all kinds of work in the field. In all their work, they ruthlessly made them work as slaves. Terrible conditions. Backbreaking labor in bondage and slavery to Pharaoh and his government to do their bidding. It was awful, and they cried out to God, and eventually God heard their prayer and responded. And most of you guys, if not all of you, know the story of God delivering this people from Pharaoh, the plagues, the ten plagues, and eventually he parted the Red Sea, and they they were delivered, they were saved from the bondage of slavery to this great enemy, Pharaoh. So terrible conditions, bad, set free. Finally, we're, we're set free and now they're in the wilderness on the other side of the Red Sea and let's see how the people of God respond. Exodus 17, all the congregation of the people of Israel moved on from the wilderness of sin by stages according to the commandment of the Lord. And they camped at Rephidim, but there was no water for the people to drink. Therefore the people quarreled with Moses and said, give us water to drink. And Moses said to them, why do you quarrel with me? Why do you test the Lord? But the people thirsted there for water. And the people grumbled against Moses and said, why did you bring us up out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? And then fast forward to Numbers. It'll be up on your screen. Numbers 11.1. 1, and the people complained in the hearing of the Lord about their misfortunes. 
Further down in verse 4, Now the rabble that was among them had a strong craving, and the people of Israel also wept again and said, Oh, that we had meat to eat. We remember the fish we ate in Egypt. That cost nothing. The cucumbers, the melons, the leeks, the onions, and the garlic. I don't know what leeks are. That doesn't sound very good, but they liked it. Verse 6, But now our strength is dried up, and there is nothing at all but this manna to look at. Man, what a grateful bunch. This manna that's raining down from heaven uh, to look at. And then finally in Numbers 14, and I'm, I'm going somewhere with this. Hang with me. Numbers 14 should be up on your screen. Then all the congregation raised a loud cry, and the people wept that night. And all the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The whole congregation said to them, Would that we had died in the land of Egypt. Or would that we had died in this wilderness. Why is the Lord bringing us into this land? To fall by the sword? Our wives and our little ones will become a prey? Would it not be better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said to one another, let us choose a leader and go back to Egypt. So God appointed them a leader in Moses. And they were set free from this bondage to slavery. And they got to the point to where they said, you know, God, we don't want your leader we don't want your mediator, Moses. We're going to pick our own leader, and we're going to go back to the way things were. They had this selective memory that we're going to go back to the, to the good old days when it was comfortable and safe, and we had free food, and we had garlic and seasoning for our meats, and you know, that was the good old days. This is terrible. How do you think that made God feel? Do you think that brought glory to God for them to see all of these miraculous things happen and then say they wanted to go back into slavery? Where they now see it as a, a place of comfort? There's a few things I want you to think about. Number one, do you find yourself wanting to go back to the way things were before you became a Christian? Do you ever find yourself thinking, man, it sure was easier before I made this commitment to Christ? You know, I didn't have to, uh, you know, change maybe the environments I was in or the friends I hung out with or the things that I did. I could kind of just be free. Do any of y'all ever think about, man, it, it sure seemed better back before I gave my life to Christ? Are you making decisions in your life based on what will be most comfortable? or the least risky, or the safest? Do you find yourself thinking how much more fun life seemed when you didn't have to worry about living for the glory of God? If you're finding these questions kind of simmering in your heart, you may be bowing at the altar of comfort. There's a few observations from these passages that we went through. Bowing at the altar of comfort is rooted in a lack of trust, a lack of belief. They chose not to trust in God. They were venturing out and they didn't know the destination only God knew and they would have rather gone back to where they knew how things were gonna be than trust that God was gonna take them to the promised land. They lacked trust. Bowing at the altar of comfort makes Christianity look unappealing to non-believers. Tim Keller said, uh, and I thought this was so profound, that... Uh, Christianity has to, look, has to look appealing to a non-believer before they're going to listen to our arguments for why it's true. They have to want it to be true 
for them to want to listen to why we believe it's true. And the way God's people were acting in the wilderness did not make people, the nations around them, want to know who that God is. When you look at your life, are you living in a way that makes God, that makes people think your God is amazing? Are you living in a way that makes people think, I want what they have because they're willing to do whatever? They seem fearless. This is a big one. Bowing at the altar of comfort eliminates the ability to glorify God in suffering. The Israelites were unable to give God glory in the midst of suffering. They were asking for circumstances to change and then they would glorify God. I love this quote from a guy named Richard Wormbrand. He was a Romanian Christian and he led this underground church in Romania and the communists, this was a middle of the, the 20th century, the communists came into Romania and they started cracking down on these churches and um, it, it was a terrible time. And at that time, he was arrested and put in prison and I think he spent 14 years in prison. And he was concerned, this is on the other end, he made it out of prison and now he's commenting on the state of Christianity in the West today. And he said he was concerned about the spiritual readiness of people to endure suffering. And here's what he says, and I want you all to listen in. This is, a, this is a pretty extensive quote, but bear with me. He says, what shall we do about these tortures? Will we be able to bear them? If I do not bear them, I put in prison another 50 or 60 men whom I know because that is what the communists wish from me, to betray those around me. And here comes the great need for the role of preparation for suffering, which must start now. It is too difficult to prepare yourself for it when the communists have put you in prison. And then he says this, I remember my last confirmation class before I left Romania. I took a group of 10 to 15 boys and girls on a Sunday morning, not to church, but to the zoo. Before the cage of lions, I told them, your forefathers in faith were thrown before such wild beasts for their faith. Know that you also will have to suffer. Not exactly a seeker-sensitive philosophy of ministry with these kiddos, but, you know, different people do it different ways. He said, you will not be thrown before lions, but you will have to do with men who would be much worse than lions. Decide here and now if you wish to pledge allegiance to Christ. And they had tears in their eyes when they said yes. He says, we have to make preparation now before we're in prison in prison, you lose everything. You're undressed and given a prisoner suit. No more nice furniture. Uh, no more nice carpets or nice curtains. You do not have a wife anymore. You do not have your children. You do not have your library. And you never see a flower. Nothing of what makes life comfortable and pleasant remains. And nobody resists who has not renounced the pleasures of life beforehand. Did you hear that? Nobody resists who hasn't decided beforehand that I'm not going to bow at the altar of comfort. If you wait till you're in the midst of suffering, until you're in the midst of persecution, you will not be able to withstand it. You will renounce God before you renounce comfort. If comfort is your God, then God will not be glorified when things get tough. Number two, so what's the alternative if that's what a life looks like that bows at the altar of comfort, what does a life look like that lives for the glory of God? I want to give you just a few uh, pictures of that from the Bible. And the first one is, is Moses. Great example. 
Um, Hebrews 11.24, it's up on the screen, to 27. Uh, This is the great hall of faith uh, chapter in Hebrews where they go through a list of people who live by faith. And it says, by faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. So Moses was adopted into Pharaoh's family, and he was an adopted son of Pharaoh. And he, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. By faith he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. He endured as seeing him who is invisible, Jesus Christ. And so Moses had a choice to make. Uh, Moses could stay in that comfortable palace where he had everything he could ever imagine and probably future uh, positions in the government, maybe one day become Pharaoh. It was all set up. It was convenient. It was comfortable. It was safe. Everything was orchestrated for him, and he chose to give up all of that to live his life with God's people for God's glory. I'm telling you guys that we read that in the Bible, but can you imagine the difficulty in walking out that door to Pharaoh's palace and never turning back and saying, Lord, I don't know what's going to happen to me, but I'm going to trust in you and I'm going to go. It's amazing. And then, of course, the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul was a gifted individual who had the highest level of training as a... um, as a uh, Pharisee in the Jewish religion. He was smart. He was groomed to be one of the, the, the best scholars of the day. Everything was set up, but he gave it all up to follow Christ. In his second Corinthians, he's forced by the Corinthian church to kind of defend his ministry. They're beginning to question whether he's really a legit you know, apostle or not because some false apostles are coming in and being like, man, Paul, he doesn't know what he's talking about. He's not the real thing. We're the real thing. And Paul says, okay, if you want me to boast... I'm embarrassed, but I'll go ahead and boast. And here's, here's how Paul boasts in 2 Corinthians 11. He says, what I'm saying with this boastful confidence, I say not as the Lord would, but as a fool. Since many boast according to the flesh, I too will boast. So you want to play that game? We'll play that game. For you gladly bear with fools, being wise yourselves. For you bear it if someone makes slaves of you or devours you or takes advantage of you or puts on errors or strikes you in the face. To my shame, I must say we were too weak for that. But whatever anyone else dares to boast of, I am speaking as a fool, I also dare to boast of that. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they the offspring of Abraham? So am I. Are they servants of Christ? I'm a better one. I'm talking like a madman with far greater labors, far more imprisonments, with countless beatings and often near death. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned, three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea. On frequent journeys, in danger from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship, through many sleepless nights, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. And apart from other things, there is this daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. Who is weak and I am not weak? Who is made to fall and I am not indignant? Does that sound like a life of of comfort and leisure and safety and security and convenience? No, he gave up all that. 
He made a choice when he chose to follow Christ that I'm not going to live for comfort. I'm going to live for the glory of God. And he says in Philippians 3, not that I've already obtained this or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. That's a guy. That's a man who said, you know what? I don't care what comes my way. I don't care what awaits me. I know who my God is, and I know that the only way I can live for his glory is if I give up all these fleeting pleasures of this, of this world and step out in faith and live for his glory and his glory alone. I'm telling you, that's what God's calling all of us to do. And we're in a, guys, we're in a culture that is constantly pressing against that. We have family members and loved ones who love us and care for us who are constantly pushing us away from living for the glory of God and telling us what we need is to build comfort and convenience and safety. The odds are stacked against us, guys. Our world is telling us, go the safe route. And you know what? You can glorify God going the safe route too. And we gotta make a choice we got to make a choice individually, and we got to make a choice as a ministry, as a collective body of believers. Are we going to choose the comfortable route, or are we going to choose the route of making God look great by how we live our lives? That's the choice, and there's one final example, the best example, Jesus Christ, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. He emptied himself by taking the form of a servant being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. <clears throat> Jesus Christ was in heaven with hundreds of thousands of angels worshiping him. Every second of every day, he was the supreme being in the most comfortable place you could ever fathom in perfect community in the Godhead with the Father and the Spirit. Everything was perfect. Everything was comfortable. And he gave it all up to take on human form so that he could die a horrible death so that we might have life. If there's ever any doubt about whether we're called to live a life of, a, of, of risk and a life of Stepping out of faith, look to Jesus. And by the way, Jesus says, if I was persecuted, guess what? You're gonna be persecuted. If I went through turmoil and troubles and hardships, guess what? As followers of me, why do you think it's gonna be otherwise with you? His promise is he'll be with you. His promise is not I'm gonna make your life comfortable and easy. What's he calling you to do? What's he asking you to do that you've been saying no to because it scares you to step out of your comfort zone? For some of you, God is calling you to, to change jobs, even though it, it, it is risky. Even though maybe your parents are saying that would be stupid. How are you gonna pay rent? How are you gonna pay your car payment? Where are you gonna live? 
can you move up the ladder in this, in this business, in this corporation? But God, you, you know deep down inside of you that God is calling you to step out in faith and to step away from your current position and to step into a different place. For some of you, God is calling you to step out of a relationship. You knew from the get-go that this wasn't the right thing, but you've stayed with this person, you've overlooked all the red flags from your friends, and man, I don't know if this is the right person, because, you know why? Because it's comfortable. You've gotten comfortable with this person. You can't imagine leaving the security of knowing this person thinks about me and loves me and cares for me, even though you know the relationship is wrong, even though you know the relationship does not bring any glory to God. You're choosing comfort, not the glory of God. And the reason I know that is because I've done that. I did that in college. It's one of my big regrets in college is I, I overlooked the numerous red flags and got into a relationship with a, with a girl, and it was terrible, and it sapped the life out of both of us, and it, and it, and it slowly made God's glory in my life look less and less. It damaged my witness, and it didn't make God look very great in my life. And he had to break me and he had to bring me to nothing before I was able to, to break away from that relationship. Is God calling you to step out of your comfort zone and leave a relationship? For some of you, God might be calling you into a relationship, but you're scared to death. Scared to death. Guys, scared to death. Don't even know how to approach the situation. Don't even know what to say. And you're like, you know what? Maybe, you know, I, I, I just, I'm comfortable being single I, I know that I want to do this, but I'm going to choose safety over what if she says no. God's calling some of you to step out and pursue a godly woman. And you're scared. You're scared to do it. What's, what's your choice? Are you going to live for the glory of God or are you going to bow at the altar of comfort? These are two big things, and, and we'll wrap it up here in just a second. These are two big things we don't talk about a lot. God is calling some of you onto the mission field. What I mean by that is you have a heart to see people come to faith in Christ. You love meeting people from different cultures. You love seeing the gospel go to the ends of the earth. And for a long time, you've had this thing inside of your heart that's like, I want to be one of those people that leaves it all, that, that leaves the American dream, that leaves all the comfort and safety of this world to go to the ends of the earth, to a dangerous place, so that some people could come to faith in Jesus Christ to be saved. And he's put it on your heart, and you've been resisting it for a long time, and I think God's telling you tonight, step out in faith and go on to that mission field. For some of you, it's step out in faith and go into the ministry and not make a lot of money, and not build up a big savings, 401k, and retirement, and, and, and live a life of, you know, struggle financially, but a life where you get to see people come to faith in Christ, and grow in Christ, and be a part of an amazing community, and, 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 and be able to speak into people's lives. He's calling you into the ministry, but you're resisting, because you're comfortable. I could go on and on and on. We just don't have time. The last one I want to talk about is God is calling some of you to live an ordinary life. And you know what? That scares you to death. You've kind of built your image on being the person that lives the radical life and goes to the ends of the earth and, and uh, you know, is, is the adventurous one. And God is actually calling you to live an ordinary life, to, to, to live in Fort Worth, 
to get a, a normal job and work nine to five and, and start a family. And that scares you and that's uncomfortable, but he might be calling you to that. So I can't tell you what it is. For some of you, it's the opposite of that. And for others, it's, hey, God's calling you to just be consistent and faithful where you are. What is God calling you to do? What are those things you're holding on to that God's saying, release it and let me be God in your life? Like most idols in our lives, comfort is a good thing that becomes a bad thing when you make it the only thing. Comfort is a good thing that becomes a bad thing when you make it the only thing. If you're building your life on safety and comfort, it is your idol. And I'm calling you tonight to step out in faith and give that thing over to the Lord and allow him to come in and, and lead your life. I'm telling you, even though it's scary, um, you're gonna see God do amazing things that you won't be able to explain. The people around you are gonna see God do amazing things in your life and they won't be able to explain it and they're gonna ask, I, I want that. How do you do that? If you're gonna live for the glory of God or are you gonna bow at the altar of comfort? Let's pray together. Father, I... My whole life have been tempted to stay comfortable. For me, it's, it's, it, it's, it's just part of my disposition, <clears throat> part of the combination of my upbringing and my personality and my genetics. I don't like change. I, I like comfort. But Lord, I thank you that you have called me out of that and give me the strength to live a life that's pleasing to you and glorifying to you. My prayer tonight is that for those in this room that this message is speaking to, that you would give them the strength to renounce whatever those comfortable things are, whatever safety they're looking for, renounce it and recommit their lives to you tonight. Say to you tonight, Lord, I will do whatever you want me to do. I've never said that prayer before, but tonight, Lord, I want to do whatever you want me to do because I want your glory to shine in my life. May that be a reality tonight. In Jesus' name.